How many limbs do you have to cut from a human body before it ceases to be a man? The question is, what is the essence of something and how much can you lose before you actually lose what the item is? So what we want to talk about tonight is liberal Christianity. Can they even be called Christian after jettisoning almost everything historic orthodoxy has had? The divinity of Christ, the Trinity, and the call for sinners to repent from their sinful lives and give glory to the God who saves. Welcome and thank you for joining us as we discuss today liberal Christianity on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an Edge. Well, welcome, and thank you for joining us on Sinners and Saints. Today we have in studio Reverend Adam Kalustian of the Ontario United Reformed Church and Reverend John Sautel of All Saints United Reformed Church in Walnut, and I am Reverend Moses Jambazian of the Pasadena United Reformed Church. I fear that we're kind of coming late to this particular talk on liberal Christianity, as it seems to be dying out everywhere, just uh, mostly suicide, it looks like. But we do want to still talk about the theology of what we call historic liberal Christianity, those who have sought to have a social gospel and to make the gospel more relevant and to get away from all those ancient and rather self-defeating terms like sin and grace. Or creedal formulas. We don't believe really that the doctrines of the church are true, that they actually reflect reality. You know, crazy old myth- mythological ideas like Jesus being God like Jesus being a real man dying and then actually being raised from the dead, Jesus being born of a virgin, you know, all that kind of stuff. We live in an enlightened time, and we can set aside all that now and really just focus on what Jesus was all about, which was his good moral program. Well, the reason why we don't have to believe those things to begin with is because they were just theories anyway. They were the productions of human reflection upon Scripture, and maybe Scripture is inspired or it's not, but either way— this, all these doctrines, which you just talked about anyway, according to liberals, are just theories. They're man-made constructions based upon a logical or reasonable reflection upon the text. Or even possibly worse, it's only the result of the political party called the Orthodox, which won 300 okay. years after sure. Jesus died. And so it's basically what you're subscribing to is no different than a party platform of a modern political party when you say, no, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Yeah, Orthodox is just a means of strong people controlling weak people. And if we base our ideologies on supposedly supernatural things, we're no different from the ancient pagans who made up gods to explain the answers to questions they didn't have the answer to. Well, besides that, it's fine to allow for supernatural explanations, just not biblical ones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because what, what, what's most important is my subjective experience. What is the Spirit telling me today? See, what you want, you people who you fundamentalist, Bible-thumping, Varieties uh, out there. What you want is you want some objective answer. You want a cookie cutter answer that fits all times, all places, all peoples. And uh, you're not really into how the spirit's moving and leading and guiding and revealing today. Yeah, I think the problem that we're dealing with when it comes to liberal Christians is that 
partly there's not that many of them left around. They're still influential, but their churches are dying. The numbers are down in some cases 75, 80% from where they were in the early 60s. And they are becoming less and less significant, almost a joke when you listen to what they're saying and doing on the news. But the reality is they are still out there. And the reality is that they do have an appeal to some people. And what we want to do today is to look at what they teach, what they've done, and they're striving for significance apart from God and their relationship with him. So what we want to talk about today is who are the liberal Christians? When did liberalism start? What were its tenets? What did it seek to do? Well, let's talk about that word liberal first, because when I first hear the word liberal, I mean, at least in our society, immediately I just think of politics. I think of the left. Is that the same thing as liberal Christianity? Of course not. Liberal Christianity is its own distinct group, separate from politics. In fact, it has absolutely nothing really to do with politics in a sense. What we want to get at is, first of all, if you want to, like Moses asked, well, who are these people and how did they get here? What are their origins and so forth? You have to remember something, that when liberalism came on the screen uh, to, the, to the stage back in the 20s, when it became proper, 19, uh, prominent in the 1920s, as usual, when Satan ever uses anybody, he comes as an angel of light. They didn't come with these... Uh, grizzly-looking horns on them and a pitchfork and and espousing all kinds of crazy things. They they identified themselves not as liberals, but as evangelicals. They they identified themselves who were evangelicals and how they could sell liberalism as evangelicalism is this. They said, you people who are slaves to an old pre-enlightenment worldview need to realize that that doesn't sell Jesus anymore. So what you have to do is update the faith. You have to make it uh, current with the latest, greatest scientific and technological discoveries. And, of course, people cannot possibly believe in a number of these miracles. So what we're going to have to do is give them new explanations in such a way that it's compatible with a modern mind. And then, therefore, we'll have some evangelistic success. That's right. They were students of the Bible. You see, they wanted to promote the Scripture, but the Scripture had become uh, passé. The Scripture had become ridiculous and... If you really took the scripture, for example, for what it said at its face value, then of course it would be meaningless. So we had to reinterpret the scripture according to our modern worldview. And the thing that was really popular then was this idea of all things had to relate to the immediate physical good of man. The idea of the pie in the sky, as they would have called it, was considered foolish. And so what we need to do is work on improving man's lot immediately now on earth. And so... The things that told people to be patient under suffering and to wait for God's justice, well, those things were nonsensical. Now it had to be done immediately through politics. But one of the main tools that was used, certainly a political agenda uh, drove much of that movement at that time. They were trying to accomplish a number of things through the social gospel because they looked around them. They saw the plight and the deprivation uh, that was going on around the society, the poverty, a number of things, and they, they were responding to those things. And they developed the social gospel led by Walter Rousen Bush and a number of liberal post-millennialist Presbyterians. But the issue here for me, it seems to me, when you get down to the root and the kernel of liberalism, I think, first of all, when I think of liberalism, I think of the rejection of an authoritative, infallible, inspired, objective scripture. And one of the things that they had to undermine first in order to set up a platform was they had to say that scripture is not inspired as you think of it. Right. Scripture, to the liberal Christian, is fundamentally a product of man. Right. And since man can make mistakes, then we have to look for those mistakes in the Bible and get behind what that surface error is in the Scripture 
and get really down to the root of what Christianity should be all about. Now, in order to catch this, you have to realize that there is a philosophical framework uh, which provides the context for this kind of an understanding of Scripture, and it goes all the way back to the time of Kant and his understanding of how the world was put together. He basically said there's two parts to reality. There is the material uh, world around us that we can interact with, the use of our senses and our mind, and then there is the... Uh, realm of the transcendent, where God is. And he says, you can't know anything about that. All you can know is what man understands about reality through the use of his senses and mind, reason and logic, and so forth. And so immediately when God is put outside of the ability for human to understand, of course the scripture is going to be fallible. Of course it's going to be human. Of course it's going to be simply subjective reflection upon God. So to them, it was no problem to say that the scripture is a man-made document and that it's full of errors and holes, and therefore you can't trust the doctrines in there because ultimately they're just simply human reflections upon God. But still, they would say that in the scriptures you can find the kernels of truth. So you have the husk you have to get rid of, but then you can find the kernels. And of course, they're the only ones wise enough to locate these kernels and then to grind them up into the bread that we need. So their logic was, trust us, and we're going to tell you what you need. And ultimately what they needed was, more than anything else, was the liberal theologians. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Just trust us. Yep. That's I, I mean, isn't that the way all of the anointed Illuminati's out there? They always, it's always, we have a set of secret knowledge which no one else has access to. So even though it sounds stupid or unreasonable or unintelligible to you, don't worry about it because we have... Uh, the secret manual with the secret decoder ring with the secret spy glasses or whatever is needed to interpret this stuff and we will tell you what to think and you just accept it because we're the experts and you're just a bunch of morons. So what they've done is they have basically jettisoned scripture because you can quote scripture but if you only quote the parts you like or the ones that you twist to mean what you want it to say it's no longer the scriptures. So liberalism, liberal Christianity is based on the idea of deifying man and reducing God to an instrument that we can use, kind of a feel-good, grandfatherly-type individual, but one who has no real power in the world. So the power has to then be transferred to man. So liberalism has always promoted man's institutions at the expense of God and his church. And what they did was they would push for these ideas of grander and grander things to be done to help people rather than trusting that God and his providence will work things out for good, and therefore the church is restricting itself to its proper function of preaching the gospel. Now, the liberal churches have done a number of things, and you get to hear about them on the news today, but you can see how it's tied into their historic way of thinking. They need to be significant. They need to find ways of justifying their existence. So what they've done is tried to make themselves relevant by basically adopting all the political agendas that are coming up, usually a few years late, of course. So nowadays you hear in the liberal churches about how they are advocating the, the ordination of homosexuals, in fact, glorifying the homosexual lifestyle, pushing for all these agendas that are what we would term historically socialist or communist their idea is that man will ultimately achieve good because man is ultimately innocent when he is born and is corrupted by things like conservative Christianity and the warmongers that populate the conservative wing. So let's get real specific about the tenets of liberal Christianity. One example, a redefinition of salvation. Historic Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, has said that salvation is the reconciling of a fallen sinful humanity to the God whom they have offended. 
So you have people who are lost and who are blind spiritually, and Jesus comes to die on the cross, to take away the penalty that they deserved. He comes to live a perfect life of obedience for them so that when God sees the fallen sinful humanity, he does not any longer see their sin, but he's poured out his anger already against them on Jesus, and he has given them Jesus' obedience so he will reward the faithful, those who have put their true faith in Christ, for the obedience of Jesus. Liberal Christianity says salvation has nothing to do with that. Liberal Christianity says salvation is bringing about utopia in society, providing consistent health care, getting rid of racism, stopping all violence. Well, first of all, the reason why they have to accept this point of view is because they redefine God. They will argue that uh, the picture of God that they have, unlike the fundamentalists who have this Uh, mean, nasty, retributive, righteous, terrible, holy God, theirs is loving and compassionate. And so wherever you find needs, you have God who's the the need meter. He's not the one who's worried about his justice or his holiness or meeting out judgment upon those who don't fear him and believe in him. God's just the big grandfather in the sky, the sugar daddy in the sky, who's the mead, the need meter. And so if it's wa- clean water that you need, then that's what salvation is about now. Your personal comfort, your well-being, your psychological stability, all of that's, that's the great concern now. Yeah, and liberal Christianity has always said that the problem with the Orthodox Church is that they use their transcendent doctrinal creedal truths as an excuse not to meet the true needs of society. And so it's actually, in the long run, destructive to what God really wants, orthodoxy is. Okay, so what is it, what is it replace? It takes away this individual, so-called individualistic understanding of salvation, which makes salvation about justification and getting right with God, and it boils it down to trying to promote equality. I'm just reading from one uh, website here where this guy's talking about his understanding of liberalism, and he says this is what we're about. Instead of for the uh, individualist type of salvation we've just been talking about here, for many liberal Christians, social justice is a central concern, and the transformation of society rather than the individual— Equality for racial minorities, women, homosexuals, and economically disadvantaged is seen as an essential part of the gospel message. This is, again, that confusion of cult and culture we speak about so often. Those are things that we should work towards where we see the oppressed and we seek to see that they receive justice in this world and that they are not actually still being oppressed. But to then say that this is the gospel, that this is what man needs, is to completely forget that there is a God and there is an eternity that comes after this life. They have reduced all things to the material, as John was saying earlier, Kant's phenomenal, the material type of things that we see. So then, if homosexuals are ostracized, if they have no seat at the table in society, metaphorically speaking, then what we need to do is bring them into the church and give them understanding. We say, fine, great, let's bring them into the church. Let's show them understanding. Let's show them love and compassion. But let's also tell them they have to repent. But that's not a part of the message. Repentance and change, because this is disgusting and vile, vile and, and immoral, is not a part of the message. It's pure acceptance. There are no standards, no conditions. And while you're at it, you might as well, because the gospel implications are whole, bringing wholeness about this person's life. Not only do we accept them in the church, but now we put them in our pulpits. 
Because after all, that's what the gospel is about. It's about leveling out the disparities. It's about equal opportunity for all, no matter what they are uh, like morally or spiritually in their own life. Yeah, we're just not going to stay by this old idea that there are millions and millions of people out in the world just because they don't know Jesus Christ, that they're somehow enemies of God and on the pathway. This is what really at its core— sparks all the violence and war that we have in the world anyway. All this kind of non-acceptance of people who don't think exactly like me. And this is what Orthodox Christianity supposedly does. We have to get rid of these truths that, so-called truths, they would say, that uh, foster this kind of division in the world. Well, you have to remember something, at least in the North American experience, that liberalism um, really took root and hold in the mid-20s or so with a number of important cultural shifts. And one of the most significant cultural shifts which happened in America in 1920 occurred with the Scopes Monkey Trial, where um, the biology teacher was defended for teaching evolution in the public school system, which was virtually unheard of at the time. And it seemed as if a, a climate change or a mood shift had occurred in America where people were becoming more open-minded to other explanations of the origins of the universe and creation and different models and so forth. So what you have is a mood shift in the public which says, hey, wait a second, science is capable and able of telling us things that are very important that may have very significant impact and influence on our life. And so the church begins to adapt to these kinds of things in order to make its message um, more palatable and acceptable to the wider audience. So what you wind up with in liberalism then is not a trust in the unique revelation of Scripture, which is given to only a limited number of people, especially in the 1920s, but you wind up with the universal of science being that which is the only truth. And therefore, this truth can be found by anybody who can observe nature, and you don't need special revelation anymore. In liberalism, you basically jettison the uniqueness of Christian revelation, particularly about Jesus Christ, the God-man, the cross, and you wind up with... Just be nice. And that's really the heart of all they speak is be nice, but it's not a niceness or it's not a true goodness that is defined by Scripture, but one that they have developed in their own psychology, in their own thinking. And, of course, this general goodness, don't murder others, don't steal other people's property, this can be found all over the world. That means all over the world God has revealed himself, all over the world in every religion you can find that which is necessary for salvation. So, of course, Christianity becomes insignificant, and this is what they have done to themselves. They have made themselves insignificant, and nobody really believes what they're saying anymore. Except for (laughs) disgruntled fundamentalists. Um, As much as we um, would rejoice in the fact that the liberal churches are shrinking, that there's a mass exodus out of these churches, we also should note— that the only reason, it seems to me, why they stay afloat is not because they're evangelizing all kinds of liberal, lefty uh, people from a liberal, lefty political stripe. People who are tired of the tyranny in the fundamentalist and evangelical churches are flocking, really, to the liberal churches because they're tired of being abused by people who have church authority and power and are using it in an an uncompassionate, unloving way. Yeah, that's right. Remember what we said, that the... Liberal Christian looks at orthodoxy as the excuse for not being compassionate. Mm -hmm. And 
unfortunately, this is often a true truth criticism. That. Yes. That people do use Christian orthodoxy as a reason to view everybody else who isn't exactly like them as a condemned, horrible sinner that, thank God, I am not like them. Whereas the message, the true message of Orthodox Christianity, the message of the Scripture is, yes, that these millions in the world are lost, but that our response to them is not one of, well, thank God I'm not like them, but rather true compassion and reaching out to them with the truth and sacrificing my own comforts and pleasures and resources to actually help them. That's what the the good Orthodox Church has always done, but sadly we've turned off people from the Christian faith by our own lives. Well, and because we've become very often very legalistic, very authoritarian, leaving very little room for uh, diversity of opinions and uh, on various issues, and the result of that is people who don't like to be forced into the mold of the groupthink mindset, who don't like the abuse of power, they don't seem to think that there's any other alternatives. And then they go to the liberal church where they're welcome with, with love and kindness and compassion, well, theoretically. And I can't believe that it's that way in every situation. Let's not whitewash the liberal church. Well, actually, it's not, even remotely, oh, it's not even remotely true because but what they the are. But that's the stereotype. That's the stereotype. But the reality is they are very hostile and bitter if you listen to any of their comments. They are an angry people who despise anyone who doesn't fit their exact orthodoxy of openness on their issues. They don't believe in all openness, only openness on those things they want right. openness that on. That's the inherent hypocrisy of liberal so-called Christianity. It's that, well, we accept everyone and everything when, in fact, they only accept those who conform to their particular worldview. They do not accept, for example, a biblical conservative. They do not accept people who really believe in the orthodox tenets of the Christian faith. Well, they would if you said, but I won't judge you. If you're if you're an Orthodox Christian and you say these are my point, this is my point of view, but if it's truth for me, they're okay with that. Right. One of the big arguments liberal Christianity used back in the 1920s and even earlier, and it's still using today, is that look, unless the conservative churches all give up their orthodoxy and start being more open, they're going to die. And so the only way to appeal to the rest of the world is to have this broader way of looking at things that we have and one that reduces the gospel to a social gospel. But, you know, that is if you look at it from a purely pragmatic human perspective, a sociological perspective, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, it's been established by researchers that people tend to be more attracted. There tends to be a deeper commitment on the behalf of the adherents to the faith when it's more rigorous, when it's more demanding. Uh, and you can see, you don't even have to look to Christianity for this. Look to militant Islam. How do you account for these people sitting around uh, eight hours a day studying the Koran in the middle of 120 degree heat without taking time to stop and sit in an air conditioned room and drink water? Or how do you account for all these people who are uh, deeply, fanatically attracted to Jehovah Witnesses or Mormonism? Or you pick your own just kind of crazy cult thing out there, and you can see this uh, actually taking effect, but you can also see this in in uh, broader Christianity today. Um, not that we're supporting everything that's going on evangelicalism, but uh, it does seem to be, there does seem to be a correlation uh, to the growth and commitment of the people to their church when a church is strong or very sound on the inspiration and fallibility of the Holy Scripture and to 
what are often called the essentials or the fundamentals of the faith, the trinity, the deity of Christ, and so forth and so on. Those churches have thrived and grown by leaps and bounds. The point is the early liberals were wrong. Orthodoxy does not kill the church. But even setting that aside, the question that we have to ask is what is true? Yeah. I mean, what is true? At the end of the day, are the liberals right that the Bible is not the word of God and that the supernatural miraculous events in the Bible are false and just the products of man's imagination or hope to answer seemingly irresolvable questions? And we say, no, the Bible is true. It is the revealed word of God. And so I don't care if it's inconvenient for us. I don't care if that means that we come off as mean spirit or whatever. But the idea is that we should be holding fast to what is true and doing things for the glory of God who has revealed himself in the scripture. Look, liberal Christianity is not Christianity at all. There's a great book written by a great champion of the Christian faith, J. Gresham Machen, titled uh, Christianity and Liberalism. And that book, its fundamental thesis is that however liberal Christianity might look loving and compassionate, however much it might sound like Christianity, it is a different religion Mm -hmm. than Christianity. And if Christianity is true and we want to use the Bible, let's stop being dishonest about it. Stop trying to twist what it says. It claims to be the authoritative, infallible, inerrant revelation of God, and we must follow its tenets in order to glorify the God who does exist and who has made us and requires our obedience. In summary, though, let's consider this. The tenets of liberal Christianity, unfortunately, did not stay isolated to liberalism and liberal Christianity. They have come into conservative churches. This idea that we have to go and look beyond the gospel to find sense and meaning, that we have to appeal in a broader way than simply preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to sinners. And that's partly why today in conservative churches, you see so many distractions and so many things that are not scriptural in the behavior of the people and also in the programs of the church. Yeah, the power of God is not good enough anymore. Mm -mm. I mean, we, you know, we have the preaching and the sacraments, but really humanity needs more than that. We need fellowship. Right. We need X, Y, and Z thing that addresses my felt needs. And really what we're saying is that is a shift in conservative churches to a more liberal Christian model. We need accountability groups. We need share in prayer times. We need dramatic mountaintop high experiences. We need all different kinds of ways in which we can channel God. We need modes of communication that are not so simple and outdated. Right. So we need puppet shows. We need dramas. We need video clips. We need PowerPoint presentations. We need just about everything but the preached word. And we also need to speak out on every cultural issue and be involved in (laughs) politics because, you know, if we only restrict ourselves to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and calling our own people to sanctification and holiness of life, that's not enough. Well, that's utterly irrelevant. Yeah. So now it becomes that Christianity is not simply propagating the gospel, but now propagating politics and political views and then doing all these other things. And this is unfortunately an adoption of the liberal program. Let's let's face it. Liberalism, whether it's in the church or in politics, has always masked the underlying motive, which is the conquest or the achievement of power. And it'll do almost anything to get it. And the history of the liberal experience, both in politics and in the church, in at least the North American context, has been that liberals have an insatiable quest for power, and they will use 
anything to get it, hook or crook, to get in position so they can be authoritarian, dogmatic, and tell you what to do, but cover it over with the veneer of tolerance. Well, that is our show for you today on Sinners and Saints. We thank you for joining us. And again, we ask you to please think about and consider the things that you are being challenged on because we are to be a thinking Christian people who seek to glorify God. So, of course, we encourage you to come to true churches where the word of God is rightly preached and to join us in the worship of the one true God where God has given to us the power to preach the gospel of grace. We thank you again for joining us on Sinners and Saints. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED. United.